Welcome to the 1909, your home at the State News for everything happening on campus and around Lansing. I'm your host, Lily Gwinney, and we are officially back for 2023. Today we'll be recapping the start of a new legislative session in the Michigan State House, updates to the MSU Board of Trustees, and some East Lansing news. Then we'll start back our couple minutes of Just Good News segment with a heartwarming story about an impromptu drag show. So let's get into it. Michigan's new slate of state representatives and senators were sworn into office on January 11th, marking the first time since the 1980s that Democrats have held the majority in both chambers of the legislature. We talked a lot about this last semester after election season, so I'll spare you the comprehensive rundown, but there are some state governmental actions on the horizon that will be good to know about. On January 1st, the minimum wage in Michigan increased from $9.87 per hour to $10.10 per hour as set by Michigan's Improved Workforce Opportunity Wage Act of 2018. The tipped minimum wage also rose from $3.75 to $3.84 hourly. In 2018, the Michigan legislature passed legislation that would have increased the minimum wage to $12 per hour by 2022. However, in November 2018, state Senate members voted to amend this legislation. Under these amendments, the time allowed for the wage hike would be lengthened, meaning it won't be until 2030 when we start to see $12 per hour minimum wage mandated. However, on July 19, 2022, the Michigan Court of Claims ruled these amendments to be unconstitutional. This upcoming February, the Michigan Court of Appeals will rule on a proposed $13.03 per hour for wage workers and $11.73 for tipped workers. Some executives in the food service industry are opposed to such a rise in the tipped minimum wage. MSU economics professor Stephen Hayter said the benefits and drawbacks of the current minimum wage increase are clear. He said it will reduce employment due to the growing cost per employee, and as a result of this wage boost, companies can afford to hire fewer workers. Hayter said people who keep their jobs are the beneficiaries of the $0.23 more an hour gain, while those that lose their job or will not be hired are on the losing end. Hader said he estimates the approximate 2% minimum wage increase would have a minimal effect on employment numbers, especially teenagers. MSU education freshman Waxi DeYoung, who works as a server at Texas Roadhouse, said the increased wage gave her more money while she worked between fall and spring semester. She said most of the time she makes between $15 and $30 an hour from tips. DeYoung said the near $8 increase in tipped minimum wage as proposed for February 19th would offset the consistency of tipping markets. After the swearing-in of new state senators and representatives, Michigan Democrats began the process of bringing a longtime legislative priority to fruition, the repeal of Michigan's right-to-work laws. Representative Regina Weiss of Oak Park introduced legislation to the state house which would amend existing labor legislation, in particular the right-to-work law. Senator Darren Camilleri of Trenton sponsored the legislation in the Senate. Right to Work, which in Michigan was officially coined Freedom to Work legislation, is a series of laws which went into effect in March 2013 after a lame duck passage by then-Governor Rick Snyder. After Snyder's signing, Michigan became the 24th state to have a right to work law, which acts to prohibit employees of a unionized workplace from having to pay dues to the union. Snyder, at the time, called the legislation, quote, a great statement for workers. Before and after Snyder signed the bill, it was met with pushback and protests from union members, including members of MSU's unionized workforce. Since 2013, unions have been fighting for the law's repeal. Many unions argue that right-to-work allows non-union workers in union shops to reap the benefits of collective bargaining without paying union dues. Democrats in the state legislature feel similarly. 
Speaker pro tempore Lori Pohatsky said that lawmakers have heard concerns from their constituents about right to work for years and said they're grateful for the opportunity to act with a new majority. Right to work has been touted by its supporters as a smart economic decision to attract businesses and investors to Michigan. Snyder's original support of the legislation came after Indiana enacted a version of right to work in 2012. Pohatsky said that while she expects pushback from, quote, powerful, well-funded interest groups, she said she hopes Democrats will gain bipartisan support in the, in the favor of unions. House Minority Leader Matt Hall declined to comment to the state news on Republicans' plans to oppose a repeal of right-to-work laws. One argument often cited in favor of right-to-work is that employees may not want to pay union dues that could contribute to political causes the union might support. Communications Director for the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters, Steve Purchase, said that it's a common misconception that union dues are funneled into political spending. With a slim majority in both chambers of the state legislature, Democrats could achieve passage of the bill to repeal in a matter of weeks. Purchase said that the effects of axing right-to-work laws would be felt quickly by unions, which would experience an influx of funding from new member dues. Now on to some East Lansing news for you guys. The East Lansing City Council has moved to terminate city manager George Lahanis' employment contract with the city and voted former Lansing Police Lieutenant Noel Garcia Jr. to fill in the council's vacancy during their meeting on January 17th. Lahanis, who has been city manager for almost 11 years, will no longer serve in the position following a separation agreement voted on by the board and signed by Lahanis himself. When discussing the agreement, East Lansing Mayor Ron Bacon said there was nothing disparaging in Lahanis' relationship with the council and the decision was based on the direction of things and what the council wants to see done. He said the agreement was made out of, quote, out of respect. Retired East Lansing Fire Chief Randy Talaferro will serve as an interim city manager effective January 18th. Talaferro's contract is valid until July 31st and then his contract will move forward on a month-to-month basis. The East Lansing City Council also passed a motion declaring the city a sanctuary city in a 3-1 to vote on Tuesday, January 10th. The vote followed a delay after last month after requests were made by the council to the city's legal team on effects the status could have and how the status would differ from East Lansing's current safe haven status passed in 2017. The city's Human Rights Commission, later joined by the University Student Commission, passed a resolution in December asking the council to designate East Lansing a sanctuary city. The designation would mean city officials and law enforcement would not cooperate with federal agents to enforce immigration laws. Human Rights Commission Chairperson Liz Miller said that while she understands the term sanctuary city is not legally binding, the classification offers a structure that allows the city to exercise restraint when federal authorities claim jurisdiction over immigration laws. In some MSU news, we have an updated board of trustees that has been officially seated and we have some new faces to get to know. Following the resignation of former MSU trustee Pat O'Keefe, Governor Gretchen Whitmer selected Huntington Bank's Executive Vice President Sandy Pierce to serve the remainder of his eight-year term. Pierce shared a lot with the state news in an interview about her life and work, but she was hesitant to make any policy conclusions relating to MSU. She says she's going into her first days of board business with an open mind. While Pierce's experience with education is limited, she has served on the Wayne State University Foundation Board of Directors and Business School Board, her experience as a Michigan executive and corporate board member is vast. Before her time at Huntington, Pierce worked as the vice chair of First Merit Michigan, president of Charter One Michigan, and a Midwest regional executive of J.P. Morgan Chase. 
She also sits on the boards of the Penske Group, American Axle, and Fundrate and Manufacturing Holdings, ITC Holdings, Business Leaders for Michigan, and Henry Ford Health System. Pierce earned her bachelor's and MBA at Wayne State University, though she sees herself as a member of the Spartan community, as her three children, two sons-in-law, and husband all graduated from MSU. Trustee Rima Vassar was elected board chair in a 5-3 vote on Wednesday, January 11th. Vassar will serve as board chair for two years. This also makes her the first black woman to serve as chair of the board, and she was elected to the board in 2020 with an eight-year term starting in 2021, nominated by the position for, of chair by trustee Kelly Tebe. The board's wide political split left the vice chair position relatively uncontested as its bylaws mandate the vice chair must come from a party other than that of the chair. So the board has voted unanimously to reappoint the, its, its lone Republican member, Dan Kelly, to the position of vice chair. Kelly had previously served in the role under trustee Diane Byram. In other MSU news, our interim president, Teresa Woodruff, delivered her first state of the university address on January 18th. Woodruff, who was appointed following board-driven resignation of former President Samuel L. Stanley Jr. and has not publicly declared any intention to permanently seek the position, focused her speech on how the university is moving forward, past the global pandemic, and administratively tumultuous fall semester. She framed her speech with a Leo Tolstoy parable, when is the best time to do things, who are the right people to listen to, and what is the right thing to do? Woodruff said for MSU, the right time is now, the right people are those you are with, and the right thing to do is good. She focused on expansions and improvements to MSU's Title IX office and RVSM policy, the stability of the university's finances, and continued commitments to sustainability alongside MSU's statewide expansion into what she calls, quote, Michigan's State University. Woodruff mentioned MSU's recent completion of 95 actions from a 2019 agreement between MSU and the U.S. Department of Education, improved definitions of misconduct in the university's RVSM policy, and audits of MSU's Title IX office and the board's dealing with mis- and the board's dealings with sexual con- misconduct. She also said the ongoing search for a vice president for civil rights and Title IX education and compliance is quote one of her top priorities. While acknowledging faculty and staff in attendance, Woodruff highlighted recent improvements of quality of life and MSU employee benefits. The address was attended by many members of the university's administration, prominent members of the faculty, board chair Rima Vassar, East Lansing Mayor Ron Bacon, as well as many MSU donors and alumni. Students were notably absent. As she searched the crowd for student government members, Woodruff said, I'm going to think they're in school and classes, and that's a good thing. A long-winded saga has drawn to a close as members of MSU's now-dissolved women's swim and dive team settled their lawsuit against MSU on January 13th, agreeing to end the case in exchange for further review and revision of Title IX policies by the university's athletic department. According to a release from the female swimmers law firm, the settlement agreement will see MSU appoint an independent gender equity director who will conduct a full, quote, gender equity review of the athletic department. This director will scrutinize the treatment, benefits, and athletic financial aid given to male and female athletes. They will work with MSU to create a plan to address any inequities found in their review and resolve those issues by the 2026-2027 school year. The firm said the settlement does not outline any plan for the reinstatement of the women's swim and dive team. MSU Deputy Spokesperson Dan Olson said the university is pleased to have reached a resolution in the case. 
The lawsuit followed MSU's announcement to cut the swim and dive team in October of 2020. The swimmers argued that by cutting a sport with many roster spots for women, the university had changed the overall gender ratio of male-to-female opportunities in sports. Their arguments centered around MSU's ability to comply with Title IX, a federal statute with, which mandates equal athletic participation between men and women at both private and public universities. In August of 2022, a district judge ordered the university to submit a plan outlining its Title IX compliance. In December, MSU submitted this plan, and the university contended its plan that it w- in its plan that it was not out of compliance and that if it were to fall short in the future, it would regain compliance by cutting individual roster spots rather than adding a team. Much of the compliance agreement centered around how to measure equality of male and female opportunities. While the former swimmers argued that the statute demands exact numerical compliance, MSU argued an overall percentage is sufficient. The university's method would make the current gap nine more athletes in the total 800-plus roster spots within compliance of the statute. In response to the numerical versus percentage disagreement, MSU asked the U.S. Supreme Court to clarify the federal Title IX statute, but the court did not agree to hear the case. So that was a hefty news roundup, but now we're through and it's time for our couple minutes of just good news before we wrap up today's episode of the 1909. I want to shout out Hannah Worley, who wrote today's good news story. So thanks for your work, Hannah. So Roger Geisman was presented with a challenge, help execute a drag show in just 10 days. He had to sort of rally the troops, so he then called drag queen Kaj Monet and asked her to perform at what would soon be called the Divas Ball. Monet said she would have come even if she had been asked three days before. The coordinators of the Divas Ball wanted to bring drag shows back to East Lansing, and New Geisman would be able to find the right entertainers for the show. Geisman, also known as DJ Lipgloss, has been working with drag queens for nearly 20 years. He started his career as a nightclub DJ, then became a promoter and show director. He now travels the country helping queens get ready for national pageants. Drag queens performing at the Divas Ball attested that the show was made possible because of the support Geisman has given to queens throughout the years. Sapphire Shade, who also performed in the show, said she was happy to be back performing in Lansing after having less opportunities to do so since the COVID-19 pandemic. Shade said it was extra special getting to perform alongside some of the queens who inspired her to start entertaining. Being a part of a group centered around love and inclusivity, as well as the community support, is what made the event special, Shade said. Monet said it was nice to have opportunities like the Divas Ball for college students to attend specifically. College is made up of a bunch of different people, Monet said. There are all these different genders who need representation and a place to feel like you're not living in a straight world. Geisman will be working with Float Nation Live to help bring more events like the Divas Ball to Lansing. He's hoping to turn it into a monthly event where people can gather and enjoy the art of drag. While Geisman recognizes that there have always been drag events in the Lansing community, he wants to bring awareness to more people. And that is our episode for the day. Thanks for listening to the 1909. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, airing every Monday. And signing off from East Lansing, I'm Lily Gwinnie.